Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Oh, guys, worship. That was a good time. I feel like this morning, just during worship, I was like, the Lord is just so good to teach us through everything that he does. I was like, in worship, I started out like thinking about my teaching. I was like, no, I'm just going to like look at you. Don't think about where you're going to go. And I was like, as I'm worshiping, I'm like, oh, you're teaching the people this already. And you're teaching them this already. And I feel like what he was doing in this room is he was again just reminding us who is Lord. There was so many times in worship this morning that I was just reminded of his, just how holy that he is, how like worthy that he is, how beautiful that he is to look at. And I was like, it's a beautiful summer day and it's a like great weekend to be alive, but this is the very best place that I could be. This is where I wanna be is in his presence and I wanna be hungry for him. And that was, I was a said it, but there was hunger stirring in this room. And that's something that he's working, from pre-gathering prayer, Jake talked about hunger a lot too. And we, I think it's something that he's doing this morning is he's making us hungry again. I was, I was having a conversation with a friend earlier this week and we were talking about hunger and I was like, I feel like I'm in this spot where I'm like, I'm not hungry, but I wanna be hungry. And I was like, I guess that's like a good spot. At least I wanna be. But this morning I was reminded that, oh, when you're in his presence, you just are hungry. When you see him, when you see him at work, it just makes you say, oh no, God, I want more of you. I wanna see more of you. And this morning after we worship, I can't, I don't think I could say that same thing. Oh, I wanna be. It's like, no, I am. And Jesus, show us more of you. That that's what we're here for is to come and to look at him. And so this morning, I think that God is already teaching us so much of what we're gonna talk about this morning, or even the series that we're in, that the king is here, that Jesus is king. He's to be Lord over our lives. And this morning, there's just that invitation to lordship, that invitation to surrender again. Um, so before I, even, before I even get into it, before we turn to the text for today, let's just pray together. God, you have been just like preparing the ground of our hearts already so much this morning. I know you've reminded me of just what it looks like to hunger and to thirst for righteousness, to thirst for your holiness. You reminded me that you alone are God. You alone are holy. You alone are worthy. So this morning, Jesus, we just, we again come and we just say, God, increase our hunger for you. God, this morning, would you remind us of what is true? Would you just lock our eyes on you? That we would just be a people, God, who leaves this place knowing like, oh, there is a king that I live for. There is one name that I'm after. There is one name that is holy, one name that is worthy, and it's yours, Jesus. So this morning, we just open up to whatever you want to do. You would go wherever you want to go. Um, yeah, we're just listening for you, Father. It's your name. Amen. Amen. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Luke 6, so you can open up your Bibles there, Luke 6. We're finishing up this chapter today. It's been a sermon from Jesus where he's wa just walking through a bunch of stuff, talking to the people um, and this is going to be our last parable in that sermon that Jesus gives. This is a, 
this last parable, it's the, the builder parable about the man, the wise and the foolish builders. And it's actually the third parable in a series that Jesus says at the end of this teaching. But let's read it together, um, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. So starting in verse 46 in Luke chapter 6, if you're there. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. Uh, this parable comes at the end of that set of three, and these three parables that Jesus says, there's the, we looked at two last week, the, the plank in the eye that you remove so that you can see what's in your brothers, the tree and its fruit, and then this third one. And these three share something in common. Jesus is talking to the people, not about necessarily what it means to believe that he's who he says it is, that he says he is, but what does it look like to believe and make him Lord? What does it look like to be a disciple? Or in other words, in language you probably hear more, a follower of Jesus. What does it mean to truly follow Jesus? In the first parable that we looked at last week in the plank, it shows, oh, to follow Jesus, you actually have to open yourself up to him, that you would see the blind spots in your life, that you would open yourself up to his pruning so that you can then come alongside others. There's that uh, second parable that speaks to just what it looks like to conduct yourself. It's like, oh, people, there's going to be good fruit from good trees. So there's going to be, from a disciple, you're going to see good fruit flow from their life. And this third, the one that we just read and we're looking at today, it builds on all of these, and it's stating in very simple terms what matters most for the disciple, for the follower of Jesus. It's very simple, and Jesus asks the question, it's not just hearing what he says, but it's doing what Jesus says. That for Christians, it's giving that full yes. That it is that, that invitation to say to the Lord, not just, oh, you are Lord, but because you are Lord, I make you Lord in my life, and I do the things that you say. I think that invitation, it was for, for the people that he was talking to, but it's definitely for us today. That as we seep ourselves in the word of Jesus, we come and we ask again, Lord, show me the gaps. Show me the places where your reality doesn't match how I'm living reality, that I can repent of the places where I haven't believed you, that by your Holy Spirit, I can believe you fully and live as this true disciple. That's this invitation of the builder's story, that we'd be reminded again of what is true, of our real priority in life, to turn again and not only call him Lord, but make him Lord. And there's a difference between those two. Jesus says it right here. There's a difference between someone who says, Lord, Lord, who can say his name and making him Lord of your life. There's a difference between belief and allegiance. Look again at verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus is making this clear delineation between those who speak his name. They recognize who he is, but it stops there. And then it's, there's those who not only speak his name, but for them his name changes everything. Those who only call him Lord, they're recognizing reality. They're saying, okay, I recognize this about you, but they're stopping short of stepping in and living in it, 
of living in this new reality with King Jesus. Those who are true disciples, they don't only recognize, okay, yeah, Jesus, you are, you are king, but they submit in allegiance to that king. They respond to the words of the king. They do what the king speaks. For a disciple, the voice of God is the directive. It's not only that they've called Jesus Lord, but they've made him Lord in their lives. And this is what he asks, he asks of us, is this kind of obedience to submit to the king. Because if you're not gonna do what he says, Jesus almost makes it obvious here. Like, why would you call me Lord if you're not doing what I say? Because if you're gonna call me Lord and not do what I say, what you're actually revealing is that you have a different Lord altogether in your life. That the decisions you make are revealing, oh, actually your Lord is something or someone totally different. That if I'm someone and I say, oh, Lord, Lord, and I, I call myself a follower of him, but I make all my decisions based off of how can I protect my money? My money is my Lord. If I call him Lord, Lord, but I make my decisions with, oh, how can my life actually, how can I attain the most pleasure? Pleasure is my Lord. If I say, oh, Lord, Lord, but I actually, I wanna make sure these people in my life stay really happy with me. People are my Lord. And Jesus is asking that question to have the people ask themselves, okay, who really is my Lord? Being a disciple is not just a statement of belief or a group that you take part in, in Matthew, Jesus actually says that being a disciple doesn't even mean that you're someone who sees miracles, who does the miraculous. Matthew 7, says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, there it is again, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, away from me, evildoers. They call him Lord, Lord, but have not made him Lord. Jesus is looking for believers who belief leads to allegiance to a king, to his way. Those are disciples. And miracles and driving out demons, they are, fruit of a, they are fruit of the kingdom. And we see that and we talk about it here. Going to church once a while is a really good thing. And having Jesus following your Instagram, that can be a good thing. But he is after your heart. That is the point that Jesus is saying is, oh, it's not about even what we're seeing. What does your heart look like? Not what, what are you showing to the world or what are you proclaiming, but what, what is here? Where does your deepest allegiance lie? Because simply getting people to put their hand in the air and say, I believe, that's not all that Jesus is after. He's after all of you, all of your heart. James 2.19 says that even the demons believe. And that's always was always a really spooky verse to me. Like even they believe but belief has to take you somewhere. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. But belief has to take you somewhere different than you were before, because if it doesn't, it's not faith. It must be faith that saves us and faith that sustains us. Our faith that Jesus is who he says he is and that we are who he says we are. That it's not that we check a believe box that we're able to say like, okay, yeah, I believe you, but it's we take him at his word and that we keep taking him at his word. That's the defining characteristic of a disciple is that, oh no, I don't, not only am I saved by my faith, but Jesus, I'm gonna look at you and I'm gonna keep taking you at your word. Then I'm gonna wake up each day and I'm gonna submit to you and say, okay, again, Lord, I take you at your word. It's a very different thing than just believing something to be true, that it changes your entire life, that a disciple has this all-encompassing allegiance that they don't just say Jesus is king, but this word that they speak goes so deep that it shapes everything that they do. 
relationships, thoughts, what I give away, it's everything. And that's when we talk about the cost, right? The cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. It's that we throw away anything less, anything that goes against what he says. And we say, oh no, I have one authority now. I have one authority in my life. The desires that I had apart from him, they get to die. I'm gonna live for his kingdom. It's not just lip service, but it's lives laid down. And that is, it's a cost. And Jesus doesn't shy away from that. The scriptures don't shy away from that. That to say, oh yeah, give your everything, that is a cost. Luke 14, 27, Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That sounds like a cost. And those who simply say, Lord, Lord, but don't follow him as Lord, they don't have to count the cost. Because I haven't made Jesus Lord, I don't, I'm not gonna bear my own cross and go after him. What I actually get to do, if I only say that he's Lord, but don't make him Lord, is that I can keep for myself the option to shift. I can keep for myself a life that can change with the demands, I can change with the times, and I can mitigate the cost to myself if I don't make him Lord in my life. But those who would make him Lord do a very different thing. It's not, okay, I'll say you're Lord until it's uncomfortable, or I'll say you're Lord until it hurts me, or I'll say you're Lord until it ruins me socially, but it's that they say, oh no, Lord, I will make you Lord no matter what the cost. I'm going to go the way of King Jesus no matter what the cost. There's a, I have a classmate that I'm in school with right now, and he used to be a missionary in Serbia. And in Serbia, he met, met some people, and there was one guy in particular that their team got to lead to the Lord. It was a really cool time. Um, this is about, fast forward a year, and this guy that they led to the Lord, he calls up my classmate, and he's like, hey, I really, I want to get baptized. Can you come to Serbia and baptize me? He really wanted the one that, like, led him to the Lord to come baptize him. And he was like, he was like, uh, yeah, I would totally baptize you. And to our class, he confessed, he was like, I had never talked to him about baptism. When we led him to the Lord, I had never said, like, oh, and part of being a disciple, you get to step into the waters of baptism. And he said, I didn't talk to him about this because I knew that his family was of a religious sect in that country that Christian baptism meant your excommunication. You could say you believed in Jesus, but it was baptism that would put you out of the family, that would put you out of your community. And he's like, and I kind of, I don't, he's like, not, he's like, I just didn't, didn't talk to him about it. I was like, you're saved, that's, that's great, we won't go there. So he asked the man, he said, how, just out of like curiosity, how did you come to this decision? This is a big decision for you. And the man, uh, very simply, he was just like, oh, I read my Bible, and it looks like that that is something that followers of Jesus do, and I am now a follower of Jesus, so I will do this. There wasn't a, a fight in him of like, oh, am I gonna pay this cost? He said, no, I'm a follower of Jesus, so whatever, Whatever cost that Jesus asked for, he's like, I will give it, and I will give it gladly. And I thought that was such a beautiful story. I think we don't, we don't encounter that type of cost, many of us. Some of us probably do in our families and our communities. But there is a cost, and there's something to being a follower of Jesus where when you say whatever the cost, you actually get to pay it joyfully. Like this man did, you get to pay it joyfully because the beautiful thing about the cost of discipleship isn't that it doesn't cost anything. But it's that the cost, as real as it is, is nothing compared to the reward of Jesus. It's nothing compared to the riches of knowing him. It's nothing compared to the fact that I get to commune with the Savior again. I get to be a part of this story that he's telling. It's nothing compared to the kingdom reality that we're now invited to walk in, to participate in. 
we count the cost with confidence in Jesus' great and lavish goodness. And it's those who've counted the cost, not just called him Lord, but made him Lord, that Jesus goes on in Luke 6 to say this. Verse 47. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, the disciple, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck and the house struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. Jesus is honoring those disciples who hear and practice. That reward, that reward is that firm foundation. It's Christ himself on whom we get to stand. It's Christ himself that we stand on and say, oh, no matter what comes throughout my life, no matter what comes at the end of days, I will not be shaken because I get to have total security in Jesus. That is our great reward. And he contrasts that with the one who does not practice, the one who listens to God but doesn't put his words into practice. And Jesus says that those are headed for destruction. And that juxtaposition of those two should again lead us to ask a question, how am I building my house? Which of these houses am I building? Is it on that solid rock foundation? Because a disciple's foundation is going to look very different. It actually says here that the one who builds uh, without Jesus is building with no foundation at all. Sounds like a very sketch way to build a house. But they're talking about here is that disciples have it very different. And I want to talk about three things that differentiate the disciples' foundation. There's a lot more, but these were the three um, I felt like was, were getting highlighted for today. The first one is one that we've already talked about quite a bit, is a disciple's foundation is allegiance to King Jesus. That allegiance is the rock on which the foundation is laid. When Jesus says, oh, they dug deep and set it on the rock, Christ himself is that deep place, that rock on which we set, the one who we say, no other kingdom will I give my allegiance to but yours alone, Jesus. And that's the core of the life of every disciple. It's this declaration of loyalty, no reservation. This Jesus is who I will build my life on. I will not just call you Lord, but I will make you Lord. Have your way. The second a disciple's foundation is commitment to God's way and to God's people. So you've seen the rock, you've seen who Jesus is, and I've not only recognized him as Lord, but I have said that reality changes everything. I will give you my full submission. I will build my life on you. I am his disciple. I will lay my foundation on this rock. I'll hear your words and put them into practice. Practicing the way of Jesus is its commitment to his way, its commitment to him as your Lord, and it's commitment to his people. I use commitment so many times there on purpose. Commitment is a word that our, every generation fears more than the last. <laughs> that commitment is something that we, we don't, we don't want to approach. And the more that you look at studies of each and every generation, the less that we want commitment. That commitment has become something that is, that is scary. That re commitment removes my options instead of giving me more. But commitment is something, especially as the church, that we need to desperately fall back in love with. To commit simply means to be dedicated to someone or something, that I will dedicate myself to you. And for the disciple, commitment is not for the sake of our progress or to fulfill a need. Commitment is for the sake of obedience to the one that we have seen as Lord and made Lord. For the sake of the one who's fully deserving. The disciple is defined by that kind of radical commitment. 
and each, like, like I said, this commitment-phobic generation, there's a lot of different, different reasons why we're, we don't want to commit to relationships, to jobs, to places to live. But what Jesus is going to do is he's going to come and say, no, commit to a place, commit to a people, commit to me, commit to do whatever I will say. There's a, I was reading an article and there was a counselor named Haley Walker, but she was talking about why we see this, this decline in the desire for relational commitment. And a huge part of that, she thinks, is, is trust. That people have lost a lot of the ability to trust anything and anyone but themselves. It's like, oh, I will look in this, in, like, I'm, it's an individualized culture. I can lean on me, but no one else. No one else deserves it. No one else deserves my trust or in, with that, my commitment. There's a quote from her and it said, in order to trust, we need to connect on a personal level. Previous generations had more face-to-face communication and didn't depend on technology for that bond. Today's generation are under the illusion of being connected, but in reality, they're more lonely and distant from meaningful human interactions. There's a safety mechanism that we've unknowingly and sometimes knowingly through technology or there's other mediums that would fit this same description that separate us from our commitment to people, that separate us from our commitment to God, that our modern day like convenience can kind of lull us into this place of thinking, oh, okay, distance is enough. Something from a distance is still enough. We think that life with God from a distance can be enough. That life with community from a distance can be enough. And what happens is you're left living in this false reality where you're like, oh no, I'm like, I'm connected to the Father, but are you? I'm connected to people, but are you? The kind of commitment that Jesus talks about is a kind that moves beyond distance to getting really up close and personal, to getting messy, to letting, to again, bearing yourself to the Lord that he would see all, but also doing that with people, with your church. There's a, you guys might recognize this name, but the Barna Group, it's a research facility and they do a lot of research about the church, about Christians, about how the world reacts to Christians. And throughout 2021 and 2022, they've been kind of studying what the impact is of that shift in 2020 to a technological church, where it's like, okay, I I can zoom in, I can be a part of church from a distance, which in a way totally was a gift, but how that has impacted what has happened after. But what I found most fascinating about this study was they differentiate people into groups, which I get that you totally have to do for data, but they differentiate... um, they call them practicing Christians from Christians. And what differentiates a practicing Christian from a Christian is that a practicing Christian would say, one, my faith is very important to me, and two, would go to church once a month. And when I look at that, I was, I was fascinated because I was like, would, is that what a practicing or committed Christian is? And is that what Jesus was talking about when he said, those who hear my words and put them into practice? I don't think so. I think of Acts 2. I think of Acts 2.42, the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. It's not just they did these things when it was convenient for them or they showed up sometimes. No, they devoted themselves to God's ways and to his people. That's a very different thing, to devote yourself to the teaching of the Lord, that you would hear the word of God, that you would be in the scriptures, to devote yourself to people, to one another, to devote yourself to breaking bread together. That is not an easy thing to do. And for commitment-phobic people, that can feel like, oh, that's a lot, I'll just, I'll see you in a month. But what this is saying is that Jesus is like, no, no, the church was designed for a kind of like reckless commitment to each other 
when it's easy, when it's not easy, when it's pretty, when it's not pretty. And this is why the church is so crucial to the expansion of heaven on earth. The church, this people, but also the people of God at large, this body that makes up the church, is God's chosen way to see heaven come to earth. It was through a people, a collective people, fully committed to him. And I totally understand that the church has not lived up to this identity at all points in history, that it's let, let people down, that it's hurt people. Even worse than that, it's caused chaos and division. And maybe even in your life, you're like, mm, the church has also let me down. And I feel like I have a lot of pain from things that people did or did not do. Yet the church, living as disciples in a broken world, is the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to people. I will love the church because of that. I do love the church because of that. With any, any faults or anything I've seen in the past to say, oh, I'm actually going to believe what Jesus says about the church. And I will commit to her because of that. And what I've also seen from the church is revival throughout history. I've seen the church with great awakenings, with missionaries who go out and change the world, moves of God among his people that were led by the church, his body on the earth. And we, the church, we have our own testimonies today. And we have stories still to tell. We have more coming for us. And I think there will be even greater ones that will tell of revival in our time. Because that is what we were built for. That is what the church is united for, is that we would get to see these things in our time, heaven on earth. The church, it's how we come together and we take responsibility for one another. We come to a place and we say, these people, I might not be connected in any other way than the fact that Jesus has now made me their family. That I am a son, I'm a daughter adopted, and you are now my family. And that makes you committed to a person, committed to a people. That we, we're the church, we're the church in Newburgh, right? This is a place that we take responsibility for. We don't leave this building and say, oh yeah, this is like, I get to live in a pretty place, or I'm here because of school, or I'm here living here for a couple years. No, you are a part of the church. So wherever you live, you have responsibility for that place, to get to see heaven come to that place. As disciples of Jesus, the church is how we come together to live this way of Jesus, a counterculture way to love the world and bring them to the Father. Ephesians 2, 20 through 22 talks about the church like this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Romans 1.25, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Jesus has made it possible for the church, for us built together to live in such a way that we're united, holy, that we're changing the world. There's a, or to bring it a little closer to home, to the local church, to what we're doing here, uh, one of my professors, Gary Brashears, had a really great definition that I wanted to read for you guys. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for worship and edification, observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, and are unified by the spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. That is who we get to be. That's the vision that we're signing up for when we say, I wanna be a part of this church. It's not, I'm signing up for a fun people or for great worship or because I like the location. 
The church is so much more than that. It's so much more beautiful, but it takes the responsibility of each of us. It takes the responsibility not just of a couple people that stand up here. It's so much bigger than what happens for two hours here. It's out there. It's missionaries to the world for God's glory and for our joy. This collective people saying, oh, no, like, I'm going to take, take responsibility and be the part of the body that I'm made to be. And we're going to go. And that's when you see world change is that a body of people decide to do that. You were made for so much more than being just a bystander. You were made for so much more than just coming for a couple hours on a Sunday and maybe like standing towards the back. It's so much more. This gathering is a sweet celebration and we should never ignore it. But it's so much, the church is so much more than that. Even think about when you came here today. We walk in here on a Sunday and what do we think? Is it like, okay, let me, let me find my spot. Let me get like comfy. I do this all the time. Let me like lay my stuff out and just like make sure I have my space. But I think what Jesus would say is like, okay, when you walk into a Sunday, am I asking every time when I walk through these doors, what is he doing? What is he up to? Can I see someone and say, Lord, do you have anything you want to say to them? And I give a word to someone. Can I see someone that looks maybe like they're new or I just haven't met them before and say, okay, I like, I take responsibility for this body. I'm going to meet them. I'm going to talk to them. Do we come here and say, my goal today is that I would encourage and build up the body that I would come and I would encourage and build up the people of God. And I think even more so than just like this gathering is, how are we taking part out there? How are we being the church to the world? How do you lead in your home? What do you do when you run into strangers? What do you do if you see someone that needs healing and you have a prompt in the Holy Spirit, pray for them, do you keep walking or do you stop? These are very like practical things, but that the Lord is inviting each and every one of us to take responsibility for it to say, no, I'm, I'm a disciple, and I will listen to what he says. And that's what makes the church in the world work towards his purposes. The church scattered around Newburgh, like the church has for centuries, should be a counterculture community defined by fasting and feasting together, by celebration, by how intertwined our relationships are with one another. It's not just one person committed to holiness in the way of Jesus but it's a collective us. We are committed to holiness in the way of Jesus by being a people that's so committed to one another and so committed to his way that when people look at you, they're like, I, it makes them hungry to look at you. And this is why these, the churches for a long time had these set apart rhythms, these things without, um, that kind of bring us back time and time again to the reality we live, bring us back to looking at Jesus. I think of like how the early church followed the church calendar, right? There was seasons and different fasting, feasting times that they would follow to say, okay, and actually people, a lot of people follow the church calendar today. It's a really beautiful way to time and time again, just turn back, focus on heaven, say, oh no, this is why I'm here. This is what reality is. Holy Spirit, come. And that's one beautiful way, but I think it doesn't have to be the church calendar. It's simply that we as the people of God, we're geared to commit to rhythms that remind us of reality. The people of God commit to rhythms of reality. We commit to these rhythms that are different. If I was to like think about before you came to know the Lord, it's not just now that I come somewhere on Sunday for two hours and then I go home and I do the same things, that my week looks the same. No, Jesus invites us into new rhythms of life that we actually learn how to be, oh no, I, am my, I spend my days, I spend my weeks doing things that turn me back to, oh yeah, this is why I'm here. This is what a disciple looks like. And to get practical, just what some of those rhythms can look like, I think of one being rhythms of rest. 
I think a lot of us maybe would turn to like that Sabbath day that I take a day that's set apart, that I rest, or simply that rest rhythm each day. Do I sit and rest with the Lord at a point in my day? Do I have a rhythm where I sit with him? Do I have a space that I create for silence, for resting with the Father, to be at peace in his presence? I think of rhythms of celebration. This is a huge one for the people of God. Like we should be the people that celebrate the hardest because we are the ones who know what victory has been won. And this can be, this can making it a priority to say, oh, I'm gonna share any testimony that I have. Who's around? I wanna share it because I wanna celebrate what God is doing. It can look like eating together, breaking bread together, and just getting to spend time being grateful for what God has done to get to eat really good food, drink really good drink, and be able to say like, oh, I'm so grateful for this life, for this community, that God, for all that you've provided. It can be this. I think that Sunday is a total celebration where we come and we're all together and we get to worship, proclaim who he is. We get to celebrate what God has done. We get to learn from him. We get to see each other, get excited, hug our friends. It's an awesome, awesome time. We need to prioritize these times of celebration, these rhythms of celebration. Another one is rhythms of discipline. If you're hungry to have rhythms in your week that bring you back to his goodness, ask the Lord if there's a spiritual discipline that you can practice. This is a really beautiful thing that the Bible has given us, that the church of God has given, is that, oh, there's actually practices I can partake in that will draw me near to the heart of the Father. There's things like fasting, prayer, sacrificial living, a lot more that you can find within the scriptures that can be transformative if they're done from a secure relationship with the Father, if they're done from a place of hunger for deeper love. It's not a formula, and they're not saving, but the spiritual disciplines have been practiced throughout history by believers to deepen our lives as disciples, to keep us in rhythm and in step with the reality in which we live. They're almost like this, this consistent reality check that we get to give to ourselves. And our hearts and motivations for the disciplines, it matters. It's really easy to be motivated by getting to like appear righteous or I like, I hope that if I do this thing and this thing, I can make God proud of me or my leader proud of me or that I feel like I can, I don't know, kind of earn my way. But it misses, that misses the entire point of the disciplines. It misses the entire point of moving from a place of relationship. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking back to a story from back when I was in Bible college. I was um, in Kauai which sounds nice, sounds luxurious, but we lived in tents and it was porta potties, it was not luxury. But we had um, this, me and one of my roommates, we had to like walk to the laundromat and we got really sick of walking, it was like two miles, and we were like, we're gonna buy a car. And we bought a $300 Crown Victoria, which, you guys ever seen those? Like the old cop car? It barely ran, but we got to get around. And about the time that we bought the Crown Vic, we were able to, um, get an assignment in one of our classes. This assignment was, they gave you a track, like a drawing that was like the gospel. And they said, go out and share this track with people. You need to share it with at least three people. I was like, okay, game on. So we pile on the Crown Vic and we're like, how can we do this? And it wasn't from a heart of wanting people to know the Lord. It wasn't from a heart of wanting to see broken people brought back to their father. It was from a place of, I wanna get a good grade. So, we hop in the car. Kauai, if there's a lot of hitchhikers there, but it's not sketch like it is in a lot of places. Maybe it is, but I did it. Lots of people do it. So we drove around. We were like, now that we have this car, we could pick up hitchhikers and show them the track. So we would go, we'd drive, and we'd stop. We'd see a hitchhiker stop. We'd be really nice and fun and get them in the back of the car. And once they're in, secured, we're driving. 
Drivers here, whoever's in passenger seat has track ready in hand. Turn around and you start to share, share the gospel with the drawing. Look of horror always on the person in the back seat, like, what car have I gotten into? But we're moving and is it really worth jumping from like a moving vehicle? Probably not. So we would share, we would like go through all the steps of the track, share the thing, get done and be like, so like, what do you think? Do you want to accept the Lord? And they'd be like, are we almost there? Like, can we stop please? I don't think that there was any um, people saved from our expeditions, but hopefully the Lord used, used it, even though our hearts were in the wrong place and planted some seeds there. But it was one of those things where that discipline, like we did it, but it was for a grade. Like, we did it, but it was for the fact of being able to say, oh, yeah, we, like, shared it with three people, but was there any real fruit? Was our heart in a place where God was, like, bringing fruit out of what we were doing? No. And that's the opposite of how I want us as a people to approach the spiritual disciplines. I want us to approach them from a place of confident identity, from this place of, oh, I am a child of God, and I'm just hungry to see him move. And so I, I want to engage with the spiritual disciplines because I just want to grow deeper with the Father. That when we, if we go after holy things just for the sake of a thing, it's no longer holy. It's the presence of God that makes things holy. And so only a heart that is solely after him can engage with the disciplines with purpose and real change. Can actually have holy things impact their hearts. But he has to be at the center about him or it's a fruitless pursuit. Our commitment bears fruit when our motivations are rightly placed. When our affections are on him. We commit to the authority of the scriptures in our lives. We commit to the moral ethic laid out by the scriptures, to calling sin what God calls sin, and calling holy what God calls holy. We commit to obedience, obedience to God alone. Commitment is a really beautiful thing for the follower of Jesus. Commitment is required for the follower of Jesus. And commitment does, it lies outside convenience. So if your family or your culture or your education comes up against the way of Jesus, the disciple will count the cost and say, oh no, I already, I already chose that I was gonna go his way. And the storms might come, but you will not be destroyed. Third thing about the disciple's foundation is it is deep connection to the Father. Look again at verse 48. It says, they are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. This is a disciple's foundation. It's first deep connection with the Father. Beyond what we think or beyond what we know, but it's who we know intimately. It is giving Jesus access to those deepest places, that digging down deep, letting him prune us, burying ourselves before him, nothing hidden. And as children of God, it's so cool because we get to do this without fear that we can bring our dark, very darkest things before Jesus and we know that we'll see light win because his love is unchanging and his victory is sure. We get to build our foundation from that deep, transparent relationship. So again, a disciple's foundation, it's allegiance to King Jesus, it's commitment to God's way, to his people, and it's ultimately a deep connection with the Father that feeds into everything else. And I think at the, the end of the day, the beautiful simplicity about being a disciple goes back to what Jesus said. Do you hear my word and do it? We have a privilege of hearing the word of God, not just in our Bibles. Like we have, it's full of the word of God. Go here and learn from him, hear from him, and do what he says. 
We also have the privilege of having the Holy Spirit, of his voice speaking to us, of stopping, of getting, oh, I get to listen and hear from the Lord and respond to what he says. That's what being a disciple looks like. And those will be the ones who show the world that there's a true foundation. Do you guys know the mission of St. Hill is to make disciples who make disciples who change the world? That that's as a church, we're like, this is what we're after. And it's because disciples are these kind of people. Disciples are not just people who, who talk a lot or who know how to argue about the Bible or who know how to, I don't know, just do stuff that doesn't matter. It's a full surrender to Jesus. That is what we're after. That's why that mission matters, that there needs to be a fully surrendered people that goes out and shows the world what it looks like to live fully surrendered. And that's what's gonna change the world. We make disciples who make disciples who change the world. And it's all built on Jesus, that everlasting rock who invites us to put our hope in him. Creating disciples who aren't gonna be tossed by wind and by wave, by culture, but they'll confidently commit to God's way and to his people. That's how God uses his church to accomplish his purposes. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you wanna stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.